Hello, everybody, and welcome to WTS 239. My name is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. How are you, Danny? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good, yeah. Bright nights are well and truly in. Oh, it's lovely, yeah. isn't it? The, the weather laps are gaslighting the whole country. <laughs> They're telling us it's raining when it's actually sunshine out. I'm not having it. I'm coming well, for Apple. this past Sunday, I said to myself, my weather lap told me that it was thunderstorms from two to half four. And I said to myself, I'll walk the dog at half five and I'll just relax then for the afternoon. Yeah. And I went for a nap. Uh, lovely nap. And I woke up and the sun is beaming. There's no sign of rain. There's no sign of a thunderstorm. I didn't hear any light, thunder or lightning. Obviously, you're not going to hear lightning, but I didn't hear any thunder. Well, you can if it's if it's the if it's the not just sheet lightning, if it's fork lightning, it makes yeah. the crackle noise, doesn't it? But uh, I used yeah. to think that was called forb lightning. Forb lightning, Lovely. forb. Yeah, yeah. it's um, it's fork, method. isn't it? It's fork. Yeah, well, that's what I yeah. know it as well. Because yeah. it's because it's like a fork when you see it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's Neffa, isn't it? Neffa are trying to tell us the weather's bad to stop us mingling. That's yeah, to keep us in. That's it. That's, yeah, that's the conspiracy theory. That and. Uh, Lockdown was only a thing to uh, to change the batteries and all the boards. That's another yeah, one that I heard. Exactly. Mad things out there. Um, uh, um I guess this week, Merrow. Yeah, I guess this week. Um I suppose this came about through a friend of the show, a uh, longtime listener, Shane Fitz doing bits. And uh, the great Shane Fitz. Give him a great point, Shane please. Fitz, the great Shane Fitz doing bits, and Larry Manny Jr., who's a great friend of mine and Shane's cousin. Um, Larry's um, Larry's father, Larry Manny Senior, Shane's uncle, um, who is a long-time football coach, has finally released a book called "Let the Players Play," and a lifetime of coaching in this. A lifetime of coaching, lifetime of experience, an absolute diamond of a man, and uh, yeah, we said we'd have him on to talk about all things coaching and uh, and the book. So here's yeah, our interview. Well, well, I'll just say we we left it quite late in the interview to get the actual. Now, well, Lar probably <laughs> left it quite late because Lar left it quite late. He was he was regaling us with stories through the generations. He was in too fairness. giddy. Um, I could sense it in him. He was far too giddy. Very enjoyable stories too. A few buttes in there for any uh, Rovers fans as well. But uh, if you check out bigpicturecoachingireland.com, you'll be able to check out let the players play and, uh, and if, if yeah the forward the forward in the book by Ireland current Ireland senior men's team manager um, Stephen Kenny as well exactly and it has, he has testimonials from Anya O'Gorman and everything there as well he's um, mm. if, if you're in any way involved with uh, with, 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 with schoolboy or you're doing coaching lads you're well worth checking out bigpicturecoachingireland.com and the book's called let the players play and here's our interview with Lawrence Mahoney this Next, joining us now is um, author of the book, Let the Players Play, a guide to grassroots coaching, to coaching in small, what is this, Lars? Small side small of games? Small side of games. Right, you can go into that. His voice you've just heard there, it's Lawrence Mahoney Sr., um, not to be mistaken with the legendary Lawrence Mahon Jr., which is Larry Matten, the seventh. So you're Larry Matten, sixth. The sixth, yeah. Up, up the sixth. How are you, Larry? Thanks for joining us. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me on. So, Appreciate it. The book is soon to be New York bestseller, I'm hearing. Well, th- th- that's the plan anyway. We hope so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we what, have to what, wait and see. What, what made you um, write a book, Larry? Uh, it's, it's always sort of been in me, Graham. I've been always tipping away. Like I, I worked for a while 
I worked for a long while with the FAI on, on staff and the coaching courses. And it was, it was my job to sort of do all the handouts and do the presentations, the PowerPoints and stuff like that, you know. So I'd always sort of been tipping away at it. And what pushed me over the edge to get it finished was obviously the same as another million books over the last year. It's a lockdown book, you know. I, yeah, yeah. I, I forced myself to have the discipline to sit down literally for four hours every day and walk away and walk away at it, you know. Yeah. So you're 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 playing football all your life. So at, at what level of success would you have had, say, as a schoolboy footballer or even into early adulthood? Yeah. Well, I was an international. I was schoolboy international. So I was on. I was on. I think it was Joe's. Joe St. Joe's best ever team. Most successful team. That was Jimmy Whelan's team with the likes of Anthony Whelan and Chippy Devlin and Tony Clark, David Kane, John Murray, Eddie Kelly, all of those players who, who went on to be really, really successful players, you know. So we, we, we sort of won everything all the way up. And then what school, year was this? This was from, oh, come on now, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> 1934, was it? That was at the time when there was no under eights. Under nines, under tens, under elevens league. We started at under twelve, even though we were under eleven. Now that would have been, well, it would have been around the turn, the end of the sixties, the start of the seventies. And when you right. say um, the most successful club, like just winning everything for a yeah, they were, they were our years. team. Now, uh, when I say our team, I was on it up to under sixteen, and then I went. I some would say I made a silly move, to, an ambitious move to try and get myself into the league of Ireland and get myself away. I went and I joined Bohemians at the under-17 season. <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah. But there's more. Don't worry about that, Graham. There's, Rob, there's a Rovers installment to come. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I was away a few times. I was in, I was in United. I was at Preston. I was at Luton. And, All on uh, trial, is it? I have a sad, yeah, yeah. I have a sad story to tell there if you're interested in any sad stories, you know. Go for it, yeah. Tell us So, well, I, I, Luke had a big part to play in it, you know. I'm not saying I had the necessary ability or anything like that, but I was very, very unlucky. I went to United at 15. I was yeah. a right back. I had never played anywhere else except right back for, for Joes. Right? When we went over there on trial, they were looking for someone to play left back and I volunteered. So, and I played really, really well. And from left back, which was probably unheard of at the time, even in the trial games, I scored a goal at left back, right? So the legendary scout Billy Bean came back to me and he said, well done, you did, you did really, really well. You did well enough to sign, but, <laughs> and it was a big but, right? So the big but was, we have too many fullbacks on the staff. Now, if, if it happened now, I would turn around and I would say, well, how come you asked me to go over in the first place? Mm. But this was the story that you told me, right? Now, Billy Bean, who was a... Le- I don't know whether you guys would have heard him, but he was sort of a legendary yeah, yeah. dude around here. Absolutely. You yeah. would have heard. So Billy was really, really nice, man. Billy said to me, look, because, because you were so unlucky, he says, I'll get you trial anywhere else you want. Okay, so he, he said, any other club, I have the connections, I'll get you trial at any other club. All right? So he mentioned, he mentioned, he mentioned Everton, he mentioned Manchester City, Right, he mentioned three or four different clubs, but he also mentioned Preston North End. Right? And he mentioned Preston North End because Bobby Charlton was the manager. Right? So now, I don't know how it happened, but I think back then, it, obviously the, the disease has left me, but I think I was a Manchester United fan back then. Right? And oh! as, soon as, 
I is that in junior or where it is? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure now. It, it's so far back in time now, I can't really remember now whether I was or wasn't. <laughs> but I certainly know that I wanted to go and meet Bobby Charlton. And also, Nobby Stoyles was the, um, was wow. the assistant manager. So these were, the, these, were, these were teammates of the greatest footballer ever, right? which would be our own George Best. Right? Mm. So I had to go and see them. So, and plus also, schoolboy logic... Because my dad really didn't have much of a role to play. That was the old days when your dads didn't talk to you too much and that, you know. So my dad didn't have much of a role. So I sort of jumped at the idea and I was thinking, well, if I'm nearly good enough to sign for Manchester United, well, then surely I'll walk into Preston's first game, you know, <laughs> at 15. Right? Yeah. So I was in Preston three days, right? And Bobby Charlton resigned. Right. So, so chapter two of the bad luck story right? oh my god so I was left there by myself in the digs by myself and I honestly don't think anyone in the club knew who I was or what I was supposed to be there for and I was sort of going in every morning training you know one of the one of the coaches took it upon himself saying that young lad needs a bit of discipline so he gave me he gave me that's back in the bad old days when the uh, apprentices used to clean the place so, so the first time in my life I ever cleaned a bathroom was in Preston in 1975. <laughs> Up to that, my mother had spoiled me and I, not, I hadn't been there. So he, he, I was doing all the jobs. I was going in training. We came to play Manchester United on the Saturday. I was in the panel to go and play a trial match with Manchester United. And again, the coach didn't know who I was. He says, who's this, who's this stranger on the sideline? And he didn't even play me. So he didn't put me on, even though I was there supposedly to have a trial, you know. Mm. So I just got fed up. I, I, I just packed my bags. And luckily enough, my dad walked on the ceiling at the time. <laughs> so, so I was able to ring up, get straight back onto the boat and come home, you know. Right. So, then they, so that's chapter two, the bad luck story. Right? So again, the, the, course of the, the three-day course struck again. When I was 20, I was over in Luton Town. Right? I was... Believe it or believe it or not, over three days, I had done really, really well. I played really well. The coaches had told me, look, we're delighted with you. We're absolutely, we're absolutely delighted with you. Day three, I broke my leg. Fucking <laughs> oh, <laughs> hell. In a, tackle, in a tackle with a guy that called, called Michael Small, but he wasn't small, <laughs> right? uh, who went on to play with West Ham. So, so I don't think it was meant to be, you know. I don't, <laughs> There's someone up there. Not the signs there were, were there that it's just stay at home there, Larry. Yeah, yeah. You, you'll have to forgive me for a minute now while I wipe away the tears. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that, what are the like, experiences like over there, Larry, in comparison yeah, to, look, Manchester to say, United, Ireland? Manchester United was different because at the time it was such a big club. They actually took, took I think it was 32 trialists over. So we were only really training together. But we were training at the old training ground with the cliff, like the cliff. So we yeah. were literally on the same field besides the first team. So the, the, uh, the only two I can actually remember, for some reason, I, I remember, uh, well, I, I can actually remember the manager. I can remember Tommy Dargy being there and Jerry Daly was there. Mm. Or Jerry Daly. Jerry Daly mm. who played, who played, the Irish Jerry Daly, who was in the Dublin lad, who played for Manchester United. I can't really remember any of the others, but I do remember us being beside them and seeing them seeing them every day that we were there and that, you know. And that was great because the, the boredom in the digs didn't kick in because they brought you out every night, you know. You remembered your experience with, with fondness, like back... Oh, ah, yeah. Look, I, w- I, w- I wouldn't have swapped it for the world, right? Because, yeah. you know, 
it's like the old Brendan Bean said, Stephen, right? You know, Brendan Bean used to say, look, I never went to school. He said, but I met the scholars at the gate, you know? So, <laughs> so I never became a professional, but I knew the professional world because I was around it, you know, and I wanted to get yeah. in it. And I think what happened then, when it didn't work out for me then, I got really, really desperate, you know? I, I, I wanted it so much that I, I, I think I tensed up and, you know, I didn't play as well as I could have. I didn't do as well as I should have after that, you know. Now, I was with uh, I, I was with the reserve teams in Bohemians. I had a good stint in Dundalk as well. I was doing really well in Dundalk. I could say that I should have been in the Dundalk first team, but looking back now as a coach, I'm looking back and saying, well, I wouldn't have put that mad, mad fella in the first team anyway, <laughs> despite yeah. the ability because... Yeah, you know, you've probably heard the poor legends about me, you know, but I was a little bit mad and stuff like that, you know. And looking back now, I can imagine why Jim McLaughlin, Jim McLaughlin was the manager who you know was historically the yeah. most successful manager ever in, in the um, in the League of Ireland. I wouldn't have trusted me either, you know. So he didn't put me in the first team. Right. Do, is, do you mean like a, a red mist hothead, Lars? No, no. Totally off the wall, just doing mad things. I, I'll give you an example. Like, <laughs> there was one time he came into the dressing room, into one of the matches, right? And some some lad made a mistake, right, of coming to a match, a League of Ireland Bay match with uh, Dirty Boots. And McLaughlin absolutely lashed him out of it, you know. So he said, right, you lads, yeah. everyone get your boots out. So we went around the dressing room. Now, I'm, I'm 17 or 18, so we went around the dressing room checking everyone's boots. I'm 17 and 18, and I went around the dressing room with me, with me arm around the most successful manager in the League of Ireland, giving out to all the lads who are dirty boots as well, like, you know. So that was what the was, sort of madness I'm talking about, you well, know. What, what, was he, what was his reaction to I, I don't know. I think he was probably just stunned. I can't really, he, he this guy I, I know he didn't fight me. I know he didn't give it out to me, but I think he was just stunned that this, this cop shite of a 17-year-old would walk around the dressing room with his arm around him, like, you know. And there was, a, there was other things. Pre-mobile phone. <laughs> Pre-mobile phone. Like, we were based in Finglas because there was a team in Finglas called Raven Athletic, and they, um, they became the Dundalk U team. So we were based in Finglas, more or less. So we used to get the bus from Finglas, which meant two bus... Two bus rides from Dunleary for me out there. So I arrived for the, the bus one night for a game in Dundalk for one of the nighttime games under lights. And uh, the bus had gone. Of course, pre-mobile phone, I didn't know what happened. So, of course, <laughs> did the obvious thing. I jumped into a taxi <laughs> from Dublin to Dundalk. <laughs> so <laughs> I arrived in Oriel Park. Right, and I arrived in. I said, sorry, I'm late. The chairman just happened to be in the, in the lobby. When I walked in, a lovely fella called Jim Riley was his name. So I arrived in. I said, Jim, I had to get a taxi. He says, what the name of God? I said, the match is off. Oh, you're joking. <laughs> so it's, it's forever born into my memory. I'll tell you how much in 1978 exactly what the taxi fare was from Dublin to Dundalk. It was 18 pounds, right? And that was probably the 18 pounds that sent Dundalk over the budget that year, you know? Yeah. So this is the sort of behavior which makes me look back now and think, well, if I was Jim McLaughlin, I wouldn't have put, put that mad fella in either, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, oh, when, when did you... Sorry, Danny, go ahead. No, no, go on, go on, go on. When, when did you realize then, Larry, that... Uh, probably as a paid professional it wasn't going to work out 
<laughs> about about two years. When I turned sixty, Graham. Don't let anyone look. Don't let anyone ever tell you that they don't stop dreaming about it. You know, yeah. I wake up some nights with Champions League medals on in me in my hand. You know, <laughs> but I tell you what happened. I came back and I tried to play in the League of Ireland, right? And like I said, you know, I always talk now about how important the whole mental side of the game is. I just, I just lacked the mental ability. And to be honest, I was hugely arrogant at the time, and I wouldn't listen to any advice. And it sort of passed me by without me knowing it, really, you know, because I had a lot of ability, and a lot of people say to me now, you know, it's a pity you were, you were playing at that time because you were a highly technical player, and what we call technical play now, skillful play, for want of a better word. It wasn't too much in fashion in the League of Ireland back then, you know. Yeah. It was very much, very much win the headers, win the knockdowns, get onto it, play long. You know, it, it didn't suit me. I, because funnily enough, I would have been that type of player until I, until I played schoolboy international, until I played with the international team, and I sort of got the coaching bug out of that, and I wanted the ball to be played on the ground. Now, you lads, you young lads, wouldn't remember a time when the ball wasn't played on the ground, but there was a time when the ball wasn't played on the ground. So it didn't really suit me, you know. So I like to say now I was one of those, I was one of those nearly men, you know. But I like to sort of turn it around now and say. Rumor has it, or legend has it, that they're the fellas who make the best coaches. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So that's me. You heard me saying you heard me saying this a million times before, you know. So that's know, my story, yeah. and I'm sticking to it. Who was the coach then? At, um, when you were with the Ireland youth, that made you think you wanted to be a coach? Um, Liam Tui was the manager. Wow. So Liam, uh, Liam uh, gave another League of Ireland legend, the nicest man you'd ever meet. But at the same time, there was. We had an English director of coaching then, a guy called Alan, um, called John Jarman, who was big into the coaching, you know. So he, he sort of influenced me as well. Uh, you know, in all fairness, we, Chippy Devlin was our goalkeeper. He said, oh, no, you, you guys would know Chippy, would you? So yeah, Chippy, went, Chippy, yeah. played, Chippy went on to play League of Ireland, you know. Chippy was signed for Leeds. And strangely enough, they let him go because they said he wasn't tall enough. And he was the biggest fella in our league at the time, you know. But... Um, Chippy, Chippy had a fantastic long kick out and we kicked it long. So when I went to play with the international team then, I was looking to get the ball off him. And in, in fairness to Chippy, he was looking to give it to me as well. So, you know, that, it sort of made me interested in playing in a, in a, in a more different way and looking, looking away from what we were seeing in front of us to, to look at other ways of playing and that, you know. And did you play, uh, as an adult then, did you play much in the, in the Lancer Senior League? Yeah, yeah. Or did you yeah. just go... You did. Yeah. So who who did you play with then? Um, I played. <clears throat> let me think. Who would I, who would have been my first Leinster senior league? Would you play for everybody in the borough? Like no, no. I, I, I was sort of around everyone in the borough. I played for the Woodman's Club. I my first one was the Woodman's Club. I always remember my first. Like I was playing in the League of Ireland B, and John McCann, who was who was in home that was in home farm at the time. John McCann was playing was was going back to the Woodman's Club. He was playing for the home farm first team. He said, come back with me. And I, and I went up to watch them. And I was thinking, ah, oh, League of Ireland B, you know. It'd be easy to play Leinster Senior League. I went in and I played my first game for the, uh, for the Wookman's Club. And I swear to God, I nearly died. <laughs> really? Yeah, because you're playing against real big men, grown men like, you know. Yeah. And I always say that to young lads now. We always get young lads in Leinster Senior League and senior teams. You get young lads coming from schoolboy football. And they look at the schoolboy football and they think it's slow. 
But when they go in and play it, they're playing against grown men and that, that makes a huge difference. So they don't realize that, you know. But that, that was the, that's why I'm able to tell them that because I, I never forget that hammer blow, you know. The pitch, the yeah. muck on the pitch was about six inches deep. The, every player on the field was about six inches taller than me. Right? And it was a huge learning experience for me in one game. I learned that you couldn't disrespect the football at that level, you know. Yeah. So I played, um, I played with, um, I played with Joseph Glassdale then for a few seasons. I was player manager in Joseph Glassdale, and then. And what age? What age were you player manager? Jeez, I can't remember. I tell you when I was player manager. I again another stupid. Were you in, were you in your twenties when you'd say yeah. yourself right? I'm, I would have been around twenty, right now. Oh, wow. Uh, I had I have this gene, Graham. I believe there are some people have this gene about coaching and about wanting to be in charge. Now, I, I, I'd hate to lie on a couch and have an analyst because I, I mightn't hear something that I like, you know. But I always, when we were in Joe's, right, what they call an academy now, they sort of, I, I hate that word academy, what they call an academy now, we used to call it the Sardamana League. So when you, when you went to under 13 football, right, you were asked to go and help in the Sardamana League, right? So I went under 13, myself and a lot of us, Anto Whelan went as well, Stephen Davin, loads of lads from our team. So I've literally been coaching since I was 13. I never stopped in between. So I was always doing something. So believe it or not, it won't be too long until my 50th anniversary as a coach, right? So, well, the thing about it was, you know, if ever there was a stupid decision to be made in football, well, if you ever want an expert on stupid decisions in football, I'll be your agent because I can tell you, right? So yeah. we started a local team called Beaches. Well, I, I, I joined a local team to coach them. When I, I, I think it was when I left on dog or whatever. I, I, I played for Brighton Celtic, for Brian Devitt. I joined a local team as manager, as coach, because I wanted to be in charge. Right? So we won a league. I think we won a league and got up to the Premier Division very low level at that time. Now, compared to the level now in those leagues, it, it wasn't a very high level, you know. But I actually, at the same time I was playing for Beach Celtic, I did my first um, English full badge coaching course. So I was doing it. And on that coaching course, there was a guy called Jack Detchen who was well, would, be, would have been well-known in coaching circles. Now, he offered me a contract to go back, back to England with him with Boston United. Right, who were who were in the Northern Premier League, I think, at that time. No. And what he said to me was, "Look, come over. It's part time. The owner owns a furniture factory. Right? He'll you'll work there during the day. He'll pay you. You'll get your Northern play, uh, Premier League wages at, 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 for training at night and the weekend. And you learn you learn more than a third or fourth division player. But I actually turned that offer down to manage Beach Celtic." <laughs> Believe it or believe it not. And where would Beach Celtic located? Um, Dunedin. The farm, where the Blue Pool is now. No way. Yeah, there was pitches there. You, you lads probably don't even remember the pitches. No, I remember the pitches. Well, I just don't remember Beach Celtic. There for yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. You yeah. see, you, you, lads, you lads are from Ballybrack, right? Okay. There was a time before you lads were all, right, well, your parents or your grandparents were shifted out to the mountains, right? <laughs> where, where, where everyone lived, where everyone in the flats there and everyone in the farm, mm. football was really strong. There was a Monkstown Boys Club that were really strong. So all the, all, the, all the estates around, Rockford had a club, right? That was a strong club. Uh, 
Rory O'Connor Park had their own. You know I'm from Rory O'Connor Park. We had yeah. our own club there. Is it well? Like now, the, the, yeah, we, 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 had Dave, we had Dave McWilliams on the podcast two weeks ago, and he, he was talking about Rory O'Connor and the team. Yeah. I heard that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He played for Rory O'Connor, but I, I had never. My granddad, um, Hughie O'Connor, is from Rory O'Connor, and I never knew there was a football. I never knew Hughie O'Connor's your granddad. <laughs> Would you yeah, believe yeah. that? He's my great granddad. I never, I never, knew I never. That's the first I ever heard of that. You know, but the thing yeah. about it was, we were able to play for Joe's on a Saturday back then. And play for this on a Sunday. Yeah, play for the play playing the South County League on a Sunday, you know. Mm. But what happened then? They rounded all your your gang up, right? All your ancestors up, and they shoved them <laughs> up the mountains up in Ballybrack. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, Ballybrack, Ballybrack Football Club went through a period of huge, huge success. Mm. Yeah. No one could beat. No one could beat Ballybrack for for a certain period of time. Now, don't ask me the dates. Don't ask me the times. But that was because all the lads from the farm had been moved up the Ballybrack up, yeah. up with the hilly billies. For us, for us when we were growing up, Ballybrack was a country village. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Not the concrete the jungle that it is now, you know. Now, now it's a little small town. Yeah. 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 We used to go for a day trip up to Colony Beach. <laughs> Um, Gary Zambra had great success in Ballybrack senior team. Yeah, Gary, Gary was with the senior. Now that was a lot longer. Now that was. Yeah, that was well, in the 90s. I can remember playing playing a few matches for Gary when he was there because because Gary was the only one who would let me because I was working an FAI course in Galway at the time and I used to come back and play for Ballybrack. You know, mm. but right. having said that, I have something I, have, I want to say to you now. I think of it, I meant to say to you first. Right in Joe's a glass deal. I can't believe he didn't give me a mention last week. Was. The famous politician Richard Boyd Barrett was the goalkeeper. Yeah, when I was the manager of Joseph Glassdale. But there's another one. Jimmy Jackson, who was again from a coaching course, from looking at me on a coaching course playing or whatever, Jimmy Jackson, who was the manager of Athlone, asked me to go down and play for Athlone. Right? And again, <laughs> wanting to be the big guy, wanting to be the arrogant leader type fella. I said, no, I'd rather stay with Joe's glass still. Now, yeah. Yeah. so like I said, if ever there was a decision to be made and you wanted a good for the wrong decision, <laughs> I'm your man, you know? You're the man, yeah. yeah. Well, everything happens for a reason, though, Larry. You know? well, I don't know. I still haven't worked it out. Yeah, well, I mean, there's plenty of time <laughs> left. When, when you find out what that reason is, Danny, you give me a shout. <laughs> yeah, no bother. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Larry uh, probably has a team for you in Australia to go and manage. Hopefully, team, yeah. Know? I was talking to him today. He was he told me that I'd say he was asking for his. Yeah. Well, he's well, driving I'll, tractors I'll, I'll now. He's a cherry picker now, he is, but not one of them machines. He's actually is a cherry picker now. <laughs> I know, he's, yeah. he's picking cherries. <laughs> so when um see you're, you're coaching the local clubs there, at, at what point then do you do you kick on again? Because you've you've enjoyed great success as a coach. Yeah, I suppose you could say that. It, like I said, I know I've mentioned him a couple of times, Ando Whelan. Right? Ando was on our team in, in Joe's. His dad, Jimmy, was a manager. Joe's legend, as they say. Uh, although he is a real legend. Everyone's a legend nowadays. Fellas who deliver your pizza are legends nowadays, you know? Fellas <laughs> are hungrier. Yeah. That's true, that's true. Yeah, right? yeah well, that's, that is true. But Jimmy, Jimmy was our manager and Jimmy was a stalwart of the club when the club was more, more local-based. But we saw another group up together. We went to school together. We played in the same team together. We hung around in the um, we hung around in the summer together. We discovered the Beatles' Red and Blue albums together, <laughs> which started 
which started a lifelong obsession, even though we were a little bit late for the Beatles, right? We, we got in, like, started a lifelong um, obsession. But um, Anto got the man, Anto went to United, he came back and he had a fantastic career in uh, the League of Ireland. Like, you, you need to get Anto on because, like, mm. <laughs> in terms of the border, I can't think of anyone who's been more successful than Anto Whelan, you know. But Anto mm. got to draw the job. Right, and he, he rang me up and he said, Will you go? And I said, Of course, I'll go, you know. So we went to draw that, right? And that was my first, first job in League of Ireland, right? And I have to say, the season I felt I, I, I stayed, I, we walked a draw there was the most enjoyable season I've ever had in football because really? it, was, it was League of Ireland, but back then it was informal League of Ireland, right? Now, the famous Larry that you just spoke about, we had Jody Bourne in goal, who was, the, who was the goalkeeper, because he was Anto's friend, because Anto played for Rovers, right? Jody was the goalkeeper of the four in the row team. We had Jody in goal. Now, your friend and mine, my son, Larry, used to warm Jody up. He yeah, used, I remember, yeah. He used to take shots on him. Now, no one would believe that Jody Bourne, League of Ireland legend in the League of Ireland, was getting warmed up by a five-year-old taking shots at him. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's like the Saturday teams, Lancer Senior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that like it, that that's the way it was. It was so it was really relaxed. And I, I've often seen the lads putting things up on Facebook about that year and all that. And they all say the same. It was hugely, hugely enjoyable. Because I'll tell you why. Because Anto Anto was really, really good with with the fellas. He was great. He he had such experience and he was great at handling them. And then he had the now I could say he had the common sense. Right, but he, he he let me do everything on the on the training field. Right, so all you have. And did he just make the transition from footballer to coach? He was playing. He played. He he played in the first season. He was yeah, player but manager. He, he he didn't. Um, did he have any aspirations to to become manager, or is it just one of these circumstances? Well, that, well he must have, Graham, if he took yeah. the job. Like you know, yeah. Like obviously, there have been the way things work in the league of running feelers were sent out and they offered him the job, you know. Yeah, so, so I that, play. That was great that he brought you along as his assistant. Yeah, it was brilliant, you know, it was great. But like I said, so I've been lucky with most of the managers that I've worked with, you know. They, the way I work, like I, I say to people, I'm the quietest or I'm the loudest backroom man you've ever heard in your life. Because <laughs> not many people know who I was or what I was doing, but if you stood behind any of those dugouts, you wouldn't know who I was, you know. But yeah. on the training field, like, that's the way I've always worked. I, I, I need to be the voice. I need to be the main voice, you know. So with Anto and with, with, with the other man's that I worked as well, that was always my role, you know, to yeah. be in charge of the training, to, to, to decide what we did, when we did it. And and it it worked great for us that year with myself and Anthony. How long did you last in Drada? Look, we only lasted one season, and I tell you why. Because again, out of admiration for him, I tell you why. Because you know, back then in the League of Ireland, the the, the ducking and diving in terms of money and checks bouncing and stuff like that, Anto had promised people some players some money for the following season. The board didn't back him up and he said, no, I'm a man of my word. I told those players that they were going to get X amount and you're saying they can't. So he left. Right. Right. Okay, so the usual story in football. I was out of a job then as well, you know. Yeah, so what happened after that? And was it a low- Did you have to wait a while before going back into the league? Graham, I have to be honest now. Like, it's not that I'm older, Andy, but 
I've done so much, it's a blur, but I, it was probably one or two seasons afterwards that Devo asked me to go up to Bray. So I right. went up to Bray then, you know. So that was, uh, that was a great experience. We, we won the cup. So, like, so we, got, we, got, um, we got promoted with draw the first season. With Bray then, we won the cup. Right? And from Bray, I went to Rovers. And, and did you know uh, Liam Buckley, Buckley was the manager at Rovers? So did you, you'd obviously had a relationship with Liam prior to that? Liam, was at that same, Liam, Liam played on, in the same age group as I did. He was, mm. he was our age group growing up. Now, for the life of me, I can't remember what team he was on, you know. Now, I remember going, I can't remember, I don't know, maybe, maybe he came from a year younger than us, but he, he was in, because when I went to Germany with the Leinster U team, myself and Anto were on that team, and we, Chippy, I think, was on, I'm sure Chippy was on that as well. Liam was on that team, so I knew Liam from there, you know. So, but, again, the same story again. Liam came and did his A license with the FAI when I was an F. By the time I'd graduated, being an FAI, FAI instructor, right. so Liam came and did his A license and again saw what I could do and then asked me to go to Rovers. Now I believe the legend was that I was probably seventh. It was like Jack Charlton getting elected. <laughs> I think I was the seventh <laughs> fella he asked, but it, <laughs> but again the same sort of arrangement. Liam was great, like, stood back, developed his relationships with the players, got, got the most out of the players, did a fantastic job doing that. And again, the training ground was, was my responsibility, you know? And, and did you enjoy your time there? Like, what, what were the players like? What were the personalities like? Or? Oh, look, it was great. I know, I know I'm playing into your, into your alley now by saying this, but look, the best thing about being at Rovers is being at Rovers. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the other clubs, there are great clubs. There are, of course, there are great clubs, but there really is nothing like Rovers. And the players used to even say it then, you know. This club is, yeah. bit, is it's different than all the other clubs, you know. So the, the actual prestige of being at Rovers, I think everyone that goes to the club feels that. You know, so the players would have, would have been getting this vibe across to me, Liam obviously already knew it, having been a, a you know a great player for them in, in the time. So it was it was so good to just be at Shamrock Rovers, you know. Now right. that's despite the fact that Shamrock Rovers at the time was a basket case. Right? Okay, it, it, it was it was check bouncing time. You know, it was, yeah, you yeah. know things things were not good off the pitch at the time. Right, and not only that, right, you. You probably wouldn't be aware of this because you, you know Tala Stadium and all now, you know. But yeah. that season we made, well, I can't remember what it was, the first or the second season. That season we made history, right, by playing a home game in Cork. In Cork, I remember. In Turner's yeah. Cork. Have you, have you heard about that one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we went down because, because I'll tell you what had happened. Because we'd been thrown out of Daly Mount. We, we, we had been hired in Daly Mount. We were playing in Daly Mount home games. We, we played in Richmond Park home games. We played in Tolka home games. And the trouble with the supporters got us thrown out. So, it, it like, you know, and to be honest, when I say Rowers was a basket case, I was probably, I was, I was going against the tide when I was saying to the people in the club, look, we've got to do something. We've got to say something about the supporters because they're great supporters. They're Rowers fanatics, but they're costing the club thousands of euro or thousands of pounds probably as it was at the time and yeah. they were getting us thrown out so we played a home match in cork 
right? Now, the supporters, for some reason, they seem to accept every aspect of playing a home game in Cork, except one. They went bananas because we had to wear our away gear. (laughs) 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 This was the one thing, like, this was the sort of twisted logic that was going on at the time, you know? Because we had to wear it, because Cork probably said, look, you can play in our place, but you have to wear your away gear, you know? Mm. Now, Mm. on the other side of things, you know, in terms of my greatest experience in the League of Ireland was the European Games. Right. Because we, we, now I could be wrong because stats and dates and times and league tables would not be my forte, being sort of the artistic type, you know. But like, yeah, uh, I think we were the first ones to win in Europe in the sort of new era of League of Ireland clubs winning in Europe. And I'll tell you why that was. The seasons that I was at Rowers were the seasons, the transition to summer football. So we, we played early season. Right, and we, we were in the middle of our season and the teams that we played weren't. So we yeah. won, like the first season we didn't, right, we, we got a, we came with a fantastic late run and got toward the first season. And we played your gardens from Sweden. And that was from, from, from a coaching point of view, especially from my point of view, like I, I learned by playing, playing against them. Like that was the first time I saw sort of as a, as a specific tactic of the, you know, everyone's talking about the, the inverted wingers now, the, the fellas cutting inside all the time. Like, they yeah. caught us by surprise with both their wingers cutting inside because no one was really doing it at that time, you know? So they beat us in both, both legs, but it was a good learning experience. But the following season, then we played a team probably no one has ever heard of called uh, Oldre Waterslaw. I think that's pretty, like, I think that's the, uh, the correct pronunciation. So we beat them away from home. And we beat them at home. And <laughs> I'll give you a good story about that, really. Okay. Now, Poland, I don't know whether Poland viewed themselves as a, a football stronghold or whatever, but they thought we were goons. They thought we were lambs coming to the slaughter, right? So we landed in Poland. Right? And I'll tell you back then, now, I know it was only the turn of the, turn of the millennium, if you want to call it that, but my God, it was bleak. It was bleak. It was, it was scary. It was depressing. We were, and we had to drive from the airport for about an hour and a half to this place in Aldra. So we turned. So the driver says the hotel is coming around. You know, said you know, round the corner. We turned the corner, and there's this brand new granite and glass hotel, boutique hotel that we stayed in. That was absolutely fantastic. You know, so we were absolutely delighted in that until it came to dinner time, right? And we realised the difference between the west and the east. Right. And Alan Bourne, who was our doctor, right, he was our doctor then. Alan Bourne, who was the Irish doctor now, yeah, right? yeah. he literally had to go to the hotel manager and say, these guys need more calories. <laughs> <laughs> they, have, they have to eat more food. But, but look, that's, that's only leading on to the rest of the story. Right? Like I said, they, they thought we were goons. <laughs> so the manager comes up to greet us and say hello, the usual thing that they do in Europeans matches, you know. And they were so certain of winning. Right. He said, would you like to come down and see us training? <laughs> so I'm rubbing my hands together and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks very much. We'll go down. We might learn something from you, you know. It'd be great, you know. <laughs> so, so myself and Liam went down to look at them training. And I'm looking at them and I'm saying to Liam, Liam, this is a winnable game. Oh, no, they'll be good. They'll be good. I said, no, for some reason, I have this thing, a coaching thing. I don't know whether it, 
<laughs> I don't know whether I'm by myself doing this. But when I'm looking at a game, in terms of the quality of the game, I'm looking at how many passes each team is putting together. So I'm looking at these lads in training, right? And every move is breaking down after three, maybe four, maybe five passes, which was probably the standard at the time in the League of Ireland. And I said to Liam, look, this is, this is, um, this is a League of Ireland game. I says, we, we can win this game, you know? Ah, oh, no, they'd be better, they'd be better, you know? So Liam... Had, Liam, through all his contacts, haven't played in Europe. We had we had the three videos as they were back in the old days. We had three videos, stick them in the slot, you know. <laughs> we had I'd watched them for three matches, right? And Liam had watched them, and and we'd done our homework as as best homework could have been done back in those days, you know. Because the League of Ireland was, like I said, was a different animal then than it is now. So I knew what their best team was, right? So we're in the dressing room, and their team comes in. And of course, this is huge motivation to air players because I say to air players, that, whatever I call them, I, I, I know you lads course, but there's no way I'm coursing over, over the internet. <laughs> By the way, I, every podcast you go to, Graham Merrigan, Graham Merrigan, Graham Merrigan, I listen to all the coaching badges podcasts and the first fellow you ever heard course on a Graham Merrigan. Yeah. And since you've been on it, the lads have been coursing as well. But anyway, it's back only to the enthusiasm. match. Back to the match. Right? So we start, <laughs> so their team, team sheet comes in and we're motivating their players saying they're disrespecting us, they're, they're putting a poor team out, right? So their players come out, right? And they don't have a coach with them. They sent the players out to warm up by themselves. They were so certain of winning the game. They didn't have a coach. You know, I'm looking at them saying, these, but we're going to walk into these. Like, you know, we're going to lash these out. There's no way these can be prepared. <laughs> and that was bad enough, right? Right. So in the middle of the warm-up, right now, and I'm saying literally in the middle of the warm-up, a big marching band comes on into the field, right? And about 60 majorettes behind and what starts walking fuck? through the middle of our warm-up, you know? So of course now I'm looking at 60 majorettes going by me, Graham. You know, I was a lot younger then than I am now, you know. But I have to put on the act, I have to start screaming at them to get out of me warm-up, right? So I'm screaming at these majorettes, get off, get off, get off. Right? Well, their lads are trying to warm up, right? So the game started and um we went we went the goal down, but I was always confident. So we came back and we beat them 2-1. You know, and it, you know, I think because we'd won, there was a bit of press coverage and somehow or other the Irish press got hold of the Polish press and absolutely castigated these lads for, by being, for being beaten by a shower of goons from Ireland, you know. But wow. then we beat them in, in the home game as well. So that, that European experience for me was huge. Now then we went and we played Slovan Liberec in the Czech Republic and unfortunately... <laughs> Literally at the time, this was when you could see the, really, really see the difference between the part-timers and the full-timers. Even though our lads, in terms of our league, were super fit, right? Our lads, after the first two matches, they, they could hardly run. They could hardly run. Our lads were knackered when we played Leibrich. Plus, they were a very, very good team at that time, you know? So yeah. I remember telling, and again, in terms of learning, what you learn when you go to Europe, so I was telling everyone the second leg, come and watch these. These are really, really good. These are a good team, you know. And all they did, we played them in Richmond. We were still in Richmond. Before the fans kicked up in Richmond, we were in Richmond. So we played them in Richmond. All they did was they sat back. They didn't, they didn't bother playing because they were 2-0 up, you know, which again was a learning experience for me in terms of European football, you know. 
So Rob was, was absolutely brilliant. The players were brilliant. The training was brilliant. But then I tell you what happened. And, and you know, it, it was a familiar story in the League of Ireland. The Czech started bouncing. Mm. Right? So it was a huge spirit. There was a huge spirit around the team. We'd done well in Europe. We came back. If we had won all the matches that we had in hand after the European thing, we would have been something like five points ahead in the league. And we didn't. The cup final as well. Yeah, yeah. The cup, now, the cup final was... Was that the first or the second year? I'm not sure now, to be honest. I think it was, that was 2002, I think, your yeah. second year. You were there from 2001. Yeah, it was 2002. It's on my tracksuit here that I was. Oh, yeah, you're wearing the, the FAI Cup final. Especially for you. Lover's tracksuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be robbing that off you. Yeah, well, <laughs> you can have it for a mere fee. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. So, look, I, I have to be honest. I'm not, I've been with so many clubs now. Timeline, I wouldn't have a clue of, you know. But yeah. we went, a funny thing in terms of coaching and approach in the cup final. You know, we beat Bowles in the, yeah, you'd be glad to hear we beat Bowles in the semis. Like we beat Bowles yeah. to nil. I'm nearly sure Stephen Kenny was the, um, was the Bowles manager then. And then I, I can't put my finger, I could never put my finger on the ground. We just didn't play. We, we, we just didn't play in the final at all. Now, a funny thing about that, now I don't know if it has anything to do with it or whether it does or whether it doesn't have anything to do with it. Right, you know the whole cup final vibe, the night yeah. before and the suits and all that. Now, I can't remember. I, uh, I think Liam was probably behind us. I'm not sure, but our approach was to treat it like every other game. Yeah, right? yeah. So instead of getting suits, we got these track suits. We just, we just turned up that morning as we would for a normal game. And look, it's the old story in football. If it works, if you win, it's the best idea ever. If yeah. you lose, you didn't. So, you know, I sort of got the vibe of our lads. The dairy lads came out in their suits and our lads were looking at them. And I can't tell. We can't tell what was going on in fellas' minds at that time. But we were so yeah. flat in the final, it was unbelievable. We were flying. We were peaking in terms of fitness. We were doing really, really well. And by the way, our fitness was way... With my experience in the FAI at the time, like, <laughs> all this talk about strength and conditioning now, I used to... Like, I, when I see Shane Robinson now, because Shane Robinson is the head of the Rovers Academy now, you know? Yeah. Like, I do laugh at him when he's talking about strength and conditioning. And I always ask him. I always say, well, where did you hear that first this whole strength thing and all, you know? Because we were sort of way ahead at that time. Because of my experience in the FAI... We were having experts coming in that were at the forefront, the likes of Liam Hennessy and Jim Kilty. These were fellas. Liam Hennessy was, was a consultant with Bayern Munich <laughs> at the time, a fitness consultant. So I was getting his information from the FAI work. And like, we were doing stuff ahead of everyone else at that time. Without a shadow of a doubt, we were doing stuff ahead of everyone else in terms yeah, of strength. Yeah, at Rovers in 2002. At Rovers, like, yeah. Like we yeah. were going, we, we, for example, we were going... The day after games, we were going into the swimming pool, you know, and I, look, other clubs could have been doing it, but I, I don't. I, I wasn't aware of other things doing it. So we were really, really well, but everything was so flat. Even though yeah. we sort of dominated the game and we could have won it, we missed a good few chances. <laughs> that was the final as well, where there's one of the stanchions went on fire. The uh, floodlight stanchions yeah, yeah, went on yeah. fire. I, I remember, I remember um, the criticism of that at the time. In terms of uh, in terms of Liam taking it on such a as a as an an, or, an ordinary game, yeah. Whereas you know Rovers had went years without winning the cup, and then they when they won it then in two thousand and nineteen, 
uh, the effort Stephen Bradley made to the squad to let them know this is yeah. huge. This means so much to the yeah. fans. Yeah. Brought them out to a hotel for the weekend, got their suits, had messages from, from their families in a private room uh, with, the, with the players and messages from, from long-term fans and stuff like that. And uh, not saying that that made them win it. No. But I think it certainly needs, a prestige thing needs to be brought to it. Yes, uh, definitely. You know, Look, like I said, it, the importance it, of it, like it's such a, that it's one of the longest domestic cups in yeah. Europe, I think. So yeah, I, th- right. I think I, I, I could be wrong. Again, I could be wrong. You see, now, now that I mem- now that I think of it, the cup final was a year before the European those European games, you know. Yeah. But um, look, you're right. I would do that now. But nobody expected Rovers to get to the. To no, the like, like we come from nowhere, Graham. We, yeah, we, yeah. we started off, and it took a while for for things to bed in, for Liam's Liam's ideas to bed in. You know, in terms of what the way he wanted the team to play, it took us a while. But again, I, I would I would say. Uh, and, and I'm not just saying this because because other people were involved as well, like the physios, Alan Bourne, the medical side. But we were we we had planned to come strong at the end, and that was one year where I can say in all the League of Ireland teams that that plan definitely worked. Like yeah. we were absolutely flying at the end of that season, you know, yeah. definitely we, you know, 100%. I would I would I would say that, and I think most of the lads, like you know, the likes of Alan Bourne, Collie Davis, who was the physio, Albert. Uh, Born was the physio as well, was, uh, you know, Liam, Trapper, everyone. Like, I think we got everything right except winning that bloody match, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like I said, the players froze and maybe it was the whole suit thing. If Tony Grant, I think, had one good chance, I think Robbo came on a sub that day, if if I remember correctly, and I think he might have had a good chance as well. Like, if if, if, if we had to take those two chances... Everyone would be wearing tracksuits to the final now. Oh, yeah, every year. <laughs> to the victor, the spoils. To the victor, yeah, the spoils. You see, if you get it right, you get it right, you know. But like, and then the following season, <laughs> like I said, we started well, and I saw this happen again at Atlone, right? Yeah. You know, the things that were going on off the field, right? When they first started happening, players were great. Now, I saw it happening at Rovers, and I saw it happening at Atlone, right? Fellas are not getting their wages. Some of the lads, you know, are married with families. Yeah, right? For the first maybe like three, that. four weeks, everything's great and they're really professional and, you know, everyone's giving everything and everyone's committing themselves. But after a while, human, human nature, the lads being more, you know, and it, it, it was a joke because, you know, it looked like at the time it was being systematic. Like, because your check had bounced this week. And mine had bounced next week. And Danny, yeah. your check had bounced the next week, you know. It, it, it looked cynical like that in terms of... Now, look, you know, the other side of the coin is the men who were trying to run the club were trying to do it as best they could, you know. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the funny thing about it, like, the stadium is absolutely fantastic now, you know. But I have... They're doing okay now in the first division at the moment, like... They did lose the weekend, but yeah, uh, no, I'm talking about Rovers. I'm talking about the stadium and Rovers. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant that long. It's a funny one. Like, you, you guys know the story with the stadium. Rovers started to build it, and then they ran out of money. Right? Yeah. So there was a few concrete terraces up in um, up in Talla, right? But before each preseason, we went up and had a photograph taken in front of the Umbro sign on the terraces. You know? Oh, really? So I have two. I have two. 
group photographs in Tallah Stadium before it was Tallah Stadium in front of the big yeah. Umbro sign, you know. As the stop started. But both years, yeah. both years, the, uh, the management said, October, lads, October. You'll be in here in October, you know. It was good. A few October's after that, that, yeah, that the lads yeah. actually got in and played in it, you know. 2010. That's it, that's it. Yeah. Well, like, the, the thing about that was then, you know, look, this is, you could talk to Liam here now on your podcast and he might tell you a different story, right? Yeah. But this is how I read it, right? Yeah. Like, the air was let out of the balloon by, by constantly fellas not being paid and, you know, this this thing and that thing happening and there was, there was always an arse or an elbow or something going on about it, you know? And, and like, yeah. in, in the end, we, we just fell away. The, the team played really, really poorly towards the end of the season. And, you know, mm. and I wouldn't be one of these people, by the way, that would blame the players. I would put my hand up and say, look, that was our responsibility that the team, that the team didn't play well, but we just completely fell away in that second season. Is it, is it important for the coach to be able to recognise that, though? I'm always kind of fascinated with the thing of, like, you know, you see it a lot now with uh, Premier League managers getting sacked. And you, you always hear that kind of somebody will always say, well, I mean, the players have to take some of the blame as well. At what point should a coach recognise when they're to blame or when the, the, the squad isn't doing what it should be doing, so to speak? Yeah, it was when I got older, Danny, I sort of realised this, you know, that like, I would have been the same as most people. You know, if things are not going right, not, not going right you say, oh, this lad's not doing that. They're not, they're not putting it in and all that. But the fact that they're not putting it in is your responsibility. Yeah. You know, that's your responsibility. Yeah. In terms of the training pitch, it would have been my responsibility. But that's the head coaches, if you want to call them that now. Like, like I never worked with a head coach. It was always manager and first-team coach. I was always first-team coach, you know. But, you know, that's still your responsibility. But we have a much better understanding of all this now in terms of talking to players. And, you know, you go, on, you go and listen to all these, um, all these high-performance podcasts, Right, the, the sports psychology ones, the leadership ones, right? And all the managers nowadays are, are, they're not talking about football. They're all talking about the relationships with their players, yeah. right? They're all talking about communication. They're all talking about two-way communication. They're all talking about respect. So, you know, that's a big shift to what it was like when I was there, you know? So managers would be pointing the finger and all now. But, you know, I say to players, but I also say to myself, and, you know, I say it to coaches as well, the first place you look when things aren't going right is in the mirror. You know, that, yeah, that's yeah. a saying that I, I would be using for a long time now. Right? So if things don't go well with any team, whether, whether it's our under nine team up in Enniscarty or whether it's Shamrock Rovers' first team, if things aren't going right, the first thing I would do would be to, to look at myself. Could I have done anything better? And in fairness... This whole thing about reflection now on the FAI coaching courses, it's a huge thing. Coaches yeah. are being educated to do this now all the time. So, look, there are, there are all, look, I can't really speak for what happens at Premiership because yeah. the dynamic is completely different there compared to what it used to be. Because these guys, we, it's a cliche now. These guys are all millionaires. So how do you motivate a millionaire? How do you, yeah, make, sure yeah. motiv- how do you make sure a millionaire keeps playing? Yeah. You know, and, 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 and the key, the key to that is the same as it always has been. Now, we didn't know this. Uh, we wouldn't have been formally saying it. But, you know, it, it's all about communication, right? All this stuff about sports psychology now, all that happened was a few lads went to school, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
they, they were able to put this, the fancy words on it. But what they did, they went and they saw what Bill Shangri was doing. Right? And they, they were able to recognize the process. And they went to, went to see what, what, uh, what, what all, the, all the great managers were doing, what Don Revy did back in this time, because this was when things were starting. And they recognized this and they were able to put words on it now. So now people can see these things in a more structured way. Yeah. You know, they, they, they know that the relationship is important. So what would have been done by Bill Shankly, what Bill Shankly would have done would have been found out what the main motivator for that player was. Yeah. yeah. What's the, what gets him going? What makes him want to play well? What will make him play well? Now, Shankly would have done it in a very blunt, straightforward manner. But the, 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 the onus is on the manager now to do the exact same thing. Yeah, it's it's mad because when you're saying that, and you, you mentioned Don Revy there, and I went down a rabbit hole a few years ago. Uh, Not like you to go down a rabbit hole, Dan. No, I know, yeah. But like that was, <laughs> I watched the, have you ever seen the Dam Genoida? The yeah, film about, yeah. Yeah, I watched that, and then, I, like, because. You went on YouTube then afterwards, did you? I wouldn't I wouldn't have known much about Don Revy, like, do you know what I mean? Just because yeah. completely different era and all that. But I was fascinated by how all the Leeds lads just wouldn't take the clough. And no. Revy was still walking around like a god, and that relationship, as you were saying there, that's again, the key. relationships. You see yeah. what what Clough did because Johnny Giles hates like you, you, I've heard Johnny Giles talking, and you've heard Johnny Giles talking yeah, a million yeah. times about it. Like these were seasoned professionals; these were champions, and you know it's the famous story. Like Clough went in straight away and ruined every single chance he had of making of establishing. A proper relationship with those fellas. He told them, "You're a load of cheats. Throw your medals in the bin." This yeah. is the famous quote, like, and it, yeah, it's not yeah. fiction because Johnny Joyle said it happened, like, you know. I'll tell you a good Johnny Joyle story, by the way. Anyway, but, uh, go, on, go, on, go on, go on, go on, no, go on. When Joyles and Dunphy came over, and Ray Tracy came over back from England with Rovers, mm. right? I had left football. I, I'd become a bit disillusioned with football after Dundalk and that, and that, you know, and I was doing. I was doing karate or whatever, and I decided I wanted to go back to football. Right? And Rovers at that time, when Louis Kilcoyne was running it, they were, they were in an awful state. They were a really, really bad club. But they decided to hold trials. So I just said, said, right, I'm going back to football. I went up and we did the trials. I played really well in the trial games. Rovers signed me. Right? Now, <laughs> a few weeks later, <laughs> they were taken over and Johnny Joyles came in. Right, so all the fellas who had been signed were let go. Now, for some strange reason, I make your own mind up what that reason was. I I was brought up. Right, they kept me. You know, I was the only one that they kept from them lads. Right, so Giles and Dunphy came back. Right, and I was in full time. I was training every day. Right, and the very very first match that Giles and Dunphy were in charge. I was now I was what I was probably seventeen. No, I would have been probably nineteen at the time. I was on the bench. And a, a, a League of Ireland stalwart called John Doran was, was playing, my position was playing right back. Got injured after five minutes. So the very, very first game I got in after five minutes. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't know you played for Rovers. Yeah, yeah. Right. So in that match, I was a young lad. Fuck. Right. I absolutely shit myself. Right. Now, I didn't do too badly, but, you know... The shorts needed a second wash afterwards. <laughs> the laundry woman had to do to give the shorts a second wash. But it didn't help that the first ball I got on, I did well. I got on it and I played it to the winger. <laughs> a certain name and Dunphy who was playing inside, who had showed inside for the ball, said, You will fuck you, 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 you. 
I won't use the word. I said I wouldn't curse on this, right? But it was a word that applies. It's probably the worst curse word. He called me that. Right, Why didn't right. you give it to me? Now, I didn't even give the ball away. I gave it to the winger, right? Yeah. Don't be absolutely lash me out of it, right? It's fair enough. So that was my first experience. But I recovered, right? So I was going in full-time. I was training full-time. And I, again... Look, a player knows when he's doing well. And I was doing well. I was doing really well. So I was getting better each game that we played all the preseason friendlies and all that, you know? Now, with the reserve, obviously with the reserve team, because he wasn't going to put me in the first team after what happened, after my first, um, my first deb- debacle, you know? But, right, so we're training full-time. The part-time lads came in at night. Most, most of the lads who were training in the mornings went up at night. I went up at night. The night before the league started... <laughs> Johnny Giles calls me into the office, right? The night before the league started and says, I'm letting you go, son. <laughs> I said, what? I couldn't believe it, you know. The yeah. night before the league started. He says, I'm letting you go. He says, I have a new fullback coming in. And of course, I'm only young lad. I'm obviously, I'm devastated, you know. Yeah. So I went down and told the rest of the lads. Like, none of the lads could believe it, you know. So that, that's me, Johnny. I know it wasn't a great story, but that, that's me, Johnny Joel's story, you know. But come here, did you, when you were originally signed, did you not sign a length of time, right? No, no, it wasn't a contract. It would have been just a farm. Right. Because don't forget, like I'm saying, Roberts were amateur the season before. When, I, when, when, they, when, they, when they held the trials that year before, they weren't professional. Yeah. So you made, you made one appearance for Rovers and Fenny? Yeah, but it was only the first pre-season friend. I'll tell you about another Rovers appearance because you're a Rovers man, right? Right, Milltown, right? The pitch in Milltown. We used to go and watch the, the games up there, and Milltown was fantastic. Believe it or believe it not, now I know this is a, this is a, this is a strange story. Right? I played for Rovers once in Milltown because Noel O'Reilly had become the second team coach, and they were short one Saturday, and he asked me to go up and sign to play for Rovers. I can't remember who it was against. So I went up, but he signed me. <laughs> And he let me go that night. <laughs> he signed me something like I just played that day. But I scored from about, like, yeah, look, in, it's grown to 35, I'll say 35 <laughs> yards. <laughs> but, but I scored from outside the box that day. And again, stupid decisions. If there's a stupid decision to be made, right? I went back to play for Beach Celtic instead of staying with Rovers after him. So <laughs> of course you did. Right? But here's, a, here's a, another historical thing that people don't realise. Now, I know no one gives a shit about this. Right? No one gives it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean the course. I said I wouldn't course. We, we no can edit that one out with the alarm. We'll edit that one out. Right? We'll edit it. But the last competitive game on Milltown was a Rovers reserve game right? against DCU, right? which was then the National Institute of, of Higher Education. Right? That was the last competitive game in Milltown, and I was the DCU coach in that game. So I played on the last competitive game in Milltown, you know. So I played in the away game, in, or I coached in the away t- game in Cork, and I played in the last competitive game. Now, I know, I know I'm grasping at straws. I know how pathetic that is. Right? Yeah. I did play in the last competitive game in Milltown. <laughs> you know, you're, you're embarrassing yourself now. You're grasping. I know, but look, <laughs> watch now. <laughs> Come here, Larry, in terms of the book, um, we're running out of time so in terms of the book um, it, it's obviously it's not autobiographical it's a coaching book so who, who would be the best people to buy it? 
Right. The book. The book who's is it, very who's simple. It, but who's it written for? Right. It, it's. It, I start by saying the book is very simple because that's the aim of the book. Okay. I've come at the book from a couple of a couple of ways, a couple of angles. Okay. First of all, right. I'm looking at, at football now, and I'm listening to the radio, I'm listening to the podcast, I'm looking at match of the day, and everyone knows everything. Right? Everyone knows what formation Manchester City are playing. Everyone knows the uh, the low block, the high block, the the counter pressing. Like there was a time when only coaches would have spoken those terms. So everyone knows these things because of the internet, mm. right? So everyone's looking at Manchester City training sessions. They're looking at Barcelona training sessions. But the problem is, fellas are seeing all this stuff on the internet and they're coming down and they're trying these things with kids. So now adults always complicate the game for kids, but I think it's 100 times worse now. <laughs> so first of all, it's, it, it's a book that aims to simplify the coaching of children for adults, for grassroots coaches, for it could easily be just a parent who has been given the job because no one else wants it to coach their kids' team, okay? Now, the second angle that I came from, it's all about the game. It's all about the actual game in training, not about the drills, because, again, the drills, the formation stuff, the mannequins. This man, Once I see a mannequin in a video, that's it. I'm on to the next one, okay? Like, you know, all of this stuff, this is all stuff that's, Elite players, full-time players are doing. But go down to your local park right, and you'll see the local under-19 coach trying to do that. Okay? So coaching in the game has always been the most difficult part of coaching. Now, when I say in the game, I'm talking about literally when the players are playing games. Mm. Right? So we started at the very bottom. The smallest game they can play is a two-a-side. So it starts on two on two. So we're talking about the grassroots coach who's starting to coach a team, how to coach in the game. Because coaching in the game, in my opinion, and you know, in terms of the coaches that I came up with, the likes of Mar these are names I'm not sure you'll be familiar with, but in, in coaching circles, the likes of Morris Price, Jimmy McDermott, John McGrath, these would have been coaches who would have believed the same, who would have learned the same as I would. The game is the most important part of the training. Not the drills with the 900 cones, right? Not the mannequins, right? Not the ladders, not the cones, right? The actual game itself. So what this book does is it helps coaches to do that, right? Now, it does it in a very, very specific way. It simplifies everything, right? Like I said, it starts on two on two. So there's only two players. So it's easy for the players to see the picture. And it's easy, it's, again, it's easy for the coach to see the picture. So the, the classic scenario with young kids, the coaches pulling their hair out, shouting at players to spread out. Players are not going to do that until they're ready to do it. Okay? Mm -hmm. And how's the easiest way for them to understand how to do it? It's just to play two, me and you. There's only two of us, so I'll have the ball, you spread away. Now, the way that I do it in the book is I give the coach, and, I get, sorry, I give the coaches the right questions to ask the players, I hope I've given them all the situations, all the scenarios that they're going to come across in 2 on 2 right? And how to ask the right questions. Because the whole thing, the big picture, is trying to make these players 
intelligent players, players that can read the game for themselves. So I don't tell the players to spread out. I ask the players now, where can you go to get yourself some more space? Or even before that, would it be better if you have more space? So that starts off in the two-on-two, two, and then it employs a very simple strategy, and it's so simple that I've never seen anyone else do it. I just add one player, and I give them the stuff to coach then in three-on-three. Three, right? And then when the, when the players are good at the three-on-three, three, I add one player and then give them the stuff to do in four-on-four. Four. Now, a lot of coaches fall into the trap, and I speak a lot about the coach, how the coach works, and what, what's the characteristics of a good coach and all that. This is two years' work. Going from two-on-two two to four-on-four four and covering all this, this stuff I'm talking about in the book is two years' work. Now, the unfortunate thing is most young teams are coached by young people. Right? And the one thing that young people doesn't have, don't have is patience. Right? Mm. So it's, it's done in an order that 30 years of coaching has taught me to work that works. So this, first of all, you'll do this. Now, when the players are doing this well, you'll do this. When the players are doing that well, we move on to the next one. And it's done yeah. in a specific order. And I'm trying to encourage the coaches to do it in this specific order because it's an order that, number one, I know that works. But I know that it works because I know it's done in an order that the kids will understand. Because yeah. adults are always in a rush to rush kids to the adult game. But what they need to realize is the adult game is not the same game as what we see. Or sorry, the adult game is not the same game as what they see down in the local park when kids, kids are playing five-a-side or they're playing seven-a-side. Now, they're getting a lot nearer when it's nine-a-side, but it still isn't the same game. Yeah, so yeah. what we're trying to do is give them two years' work and give them everything they have to do in that two years. As the title says, let's let the players play. Exactly. Because... Look, again, I know I'm taking a lot of your time and that, you know. You're all right, you're all right. When we were on the FOSS course, when I worked for the FAI, when we were on the FOSS courses, the famous FOSS courses that Roy Keane came off and Pat Fennin and them, that I was on. Right? Like, Roy went from, from the course, from our course, went to Nottingham Forest, right? Mm. But over a period of time on that course, myself and Morris Price used to go in every morning. We'd go in early, we'd have our coaches meeting. <laughs> we'd be scratching our heads and racking our brains to find five or six things to do during the day. First, in terms of the science and stuff like that, and rest and recovery, most importantly, wouldn't have been great. Those lads were absolutely whacked. Right? They, they were really, really tired. Right? But we found after a while, instead of doing the five or six things a day, when we, we used to play a match in the morning and play a match in the afternoon, we saw the players improving more. Mm. And it's the old story. You don't see the obvious thing in front of your face. Because what's the best way of learning how to play football? It always has been the same way. It's learning how to play football, right? And everyone knows that. It's it's funny just by coincidence. I was listening to a psychology, a sports psychology podcast today. And they said a team, a team of psychologists, right, have put all the data together and they found that players who play more on the street are better players than fellas who don't. <laughs> now, for the amount of money that those lads got for that grant money, I would have told them that. <laughs> right? And you yeah. would have told them that. And your granny would have told them that. Right? Yeah. So what was staring us in the face was, right, the more they play, the better they become. 
Okay, so that's the thinking behind the book. You, again, the same thing in terms of schoolboy football or schoolgirl football as it is now as well, thank God. I mean, most, most clubs now are, they're probably hiring AstroTurf pitches and they probably only have an hour. Mm. Yeah. Okay? And so kids are running around mannequins, they're going through ladders, they're jumping over hurdles. And it's just, all it's doing is just eating into their playing time. Yeah, and just these let them guys play. don't realise that the challenge is actually the opposite challenge when you're full time over in the Premiership. It's filling in the week. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so it's great for them as to be going around mannequins <laughs> and and doing all these different things. Absolutely, it's filling out the five days. Yeah. But their time isn't their time isn't isn't as it, it, I know it might, it might seem strange, but their time isn't as precious as the hour that your under eleven coach gets with, with his under eleven. Absolutely. So Absolutely. simplicity is the key. So instead of doing bad, like I say, I have a line in the book, and I know I keep repeating this every every time I talk to someone. You're not a Barcelona coach. <laughs> Don't be doing Barcelona academy training. Yeah. <laughs> keep it. it simple. Yeah, right? yeah. Because and and here's the thing about it: the kids will keep coming back. The more yeah. the kids play, the more the kids come back. The more they stand they'd, around, they'd rather play matches and stuff like that the, than. And the theory and jumping the It's a win-win the situation, right? Exactly. It's a win-win situation for the coaches. The more the Where, players play, the more they enjoy it, the more they're going to come back. That's it. Well, Absolutely. I remember when I played schoolboy, uh, on a Tuesday night, it would be more the drills and all that kind of thing. But on a Thursday night, it was basically a big kickabout. Training on Thursday was packed. Training on Tuesday... Probably seventy percent full, you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, now again, again in the book, Dan, I, I I use a very scientific term for the drills. Mm. I I call it the boring method. <laughs> 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 because look, every now and again you get a drill and the players are like it. And I'm I'm not saying I don't use drills, right? Mm. But I, I would use them very very sparingly, right? And I would only and I wouldn't use them to teach. Yeah, I would yeah. use them to warm up. I would use yeah. fellas to get back into the habit of, uh, of passing or controlling or whatever, you know, or, or I might use a drill that would have an overlap in it because in the games I'm looking for overlaps, something like that, you know. But players hate drills. Yeah. Right? Yeah, now, and I have a guideline. It's funny the way this worked out, you know, and people will say that, you know, the con, you know what's going to be thrown at me now. The D word is going to be thrown at me now. Like, listen to that dinosaur, you know. But this is the common term now for fellas my age is a dinosaur. But the funny thing, I would have always had one standard that I used in terms of what training I would do. I only ever used drills or practices or games that when I was a player, I liked yeah, stuff that I didn't like when I was a player, I never used as a coach. And now, again, this is co- a little bit of coaching heresy, right? You know these games that players play, and you know even at the top level, you'll see people playing and coaches put on with four go- with four goals mm. to increase your peripheral vision. Now you're looking away from the ball. Like I hated them when I was a player. I hated that game because I thought it was stupid. I thought it wasn't real football. I've never ever used those games as a coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unreal. Come here, it might, it, might, it might be a silly idea, but you know that's that, that's the way my thinking was shaped. No, I'd agree. Yeah. I think that the as a I can't remember who said it once upon a time, but uh, I was told give everything a kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Ben, ben yeah. said that. 
Where, we better not can... go down that road. <laughs> no, we won't. We're, we're not. Bill Clinton and kissing. Keep away. Yeah, keep away. yeah we don't <laughs> have you on for that there. Come here, where yeah, by the way, did, did I say this yet about uh, your guest last week, a politician? About uh, down you, Joe's last hill. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I said yeah, it. I looked yeah, yeah, no. You that's covered that one. Don't worry. Sorry you about covered, that. Come here, where can Mention the politicians. Lar, settle yourself. Sorry, sorry, Anyone, if anyone wants to buy the book, where can they get the book? Okay, I have a, I, I wouldn't go as far as, I wouldn't be as presumptuous as to call it a website. I have a web page right, for, for uh, there's, uh, the information on the book is on it. The, uh, there's a little bit of a bio right, that you guys have now. You could write it now yourselves. I have, um, I, I have three great recommendations, uh, three great testimonials. Stephen Kenny has written the foreword for the book. He's, uh, and we've taken a bit out of that as a testimonial on the webpage. Anya O'Gorman, who is the uh, women's yeah. international team captain as well. And then Shane yeah. Robinson, who's the, you'll be glad to hear, is, is on it as well, Graham. He's the, uh, he's the awesome. Shane was a player when I was the coach at Rovers. He's the academy yeah. director now. So, so that's on it there. Now, the name, uh, for some reason, the name of the book is Let the Players Play. <laughs> yeah. But the name of the webpage is Big Picture Coaching Ireland. Now you, have to put the, you have to put the Ireland in there because there's a few big picture coaching around the world. You know, there's a Canadian one and uh, I found this out afterwards. So it's big picture coaching Ireland. Dot and com. at the moment, the book is going at a special introductory price of 20 euro for the uh, paperback and it's 12 euro for the ebook. Perfect. So just, just what's that website called again? Right. It's called big picture coaching Ireland. Dot com. Dot com. Sorry, dot com. Yeah. Dot com. Perfect. That's brilliant. Right. Listen, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Sorry for getting a bit carried away. Yeah, but I, I oh, no, you're not. You're not one bit sorry. You're I think, well, bit you're sorry. right. I'm not a bit sorry. But I was just going to say, I think you, I think you could have predicted that that was going to happen anyway. Well, well, I said to Danny, you'd want to watch the match with this bollocks because it's the worst <laughs> thing in the world. Right. Here's the thing. I, was, I actually meant to say that. You know. Oh, the, here we go. The generation oh. gap. The generation gap, Dan. You want to see it when I'm watching matches with him? You know Shane is my nephew. Shane's best friend. We named in his all-time five-a-side team, by the way, on the, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. On the coaching badges. Absolutely. The generation gap. I'm stopping it and I'm saying, look at that fella there. He should be in there. Look at that for defending. I'd bleed dock him his wages if he needed to defend it like that for me. Right? So I'm stopping it. And they're going mad that I'm stopping it and rewinding it, the coaching points. Right? And they're driving me mad because they're spending the whole time on Twitter talking about the match. <laughs> you're as bad, you're as bad as... Saying, put the phones out and watch the match. And you're as bad as Gary Zambra. I was over in Wales when Ireland beat Wales with the Zambras and we're getting the boat home the next day and we won James McLean header and Gary is still analysing our lack of defending during the match. And me and <laughs> That's Dean the worst about like, defenders. That's the worst about coaches. You see, once you learn, like the match is over, last time. Oh, yeah. We're in the playoff. Once you, you do know? it, once you start going, you'll never stop. If you ever take over the team now, you'll never stop. Right? No. This is the thing. The players come up and they play their game and they do their training to go home. The manager goes home and lies awake at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> right, we'll leave you on that note, Larry. Oh. Thanks so and, much. And this is Division 3 Z. You can imagine the pressure that the, the premier managers, the professional managers are under. Because that's yeah. what a junior manager does, a junior yeah. coach. If they never oh, stop thinking about it, you know. 
This is it. This is it. Jameer, you're a star. Thanks so much. Thanks very much, uh, fellas. I appreciate we'll, the we'll chat. We'll talk soon, all right? Yeah. Thanks for right. your time. Ta- thanks, Mel, Lar. Take care. Nice to meet you, Dan. Nice you to too, meet you. Mate. You too. Take care. Yeah, of yourself. Larry forgot to mention he is um, manager, current manager of Ennis Erie, Danny. And Shane yeah. is going into, I don't know if it is his final season, but he's, he pay, he's been playing for Ennis Erie for the last number of years. So uh, I can't believe you forgot to mention the great Ennis Erie in, in the interview. I suppose it's all the talking he did, Danny. I was going to, he was, he was, stories. he was very excitable, very excitable. And we were trying to get him to go down memory lane. And yeah. It seemed as though he was focusing so much on memory lane, he forgot about present day. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but as you said, yeah, Ennis Gerdy and a uh, friend of the show, the great Shane Fitz, doing bits up there with Ennis Gerdy. So, mm-hmm. great crack. So that was the, the great Larry Manny. Um, and how are you for the rest of the weekend? <sighs> yeah, I mean, head down, keep pedaling, my friend. That's that's where I'm at at the moment, you know. I'm... Uh, I'm with restrictions lifted and everything else, I get to officially visit the parents. I'm happy about that. You know what I mean? Get to give Lovely. me ma, get to give me ma a hug and not feel guilty because she's had her jabs and whatnot. And yeah, you know. So uh, yeah, th- things are looking up, man. Things are looking up. All we need now is those Air Jordans sorted for June next year. Am I laughing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't hassled your other half in a while over it. So that well, was just um, a general reminder for you to pick up that baton, please. <laughs> okay. Uh, Danny's getting married next June. I'm a groomsman, and I'm I'm trying to persuade. Um, wife to be to allow us to wear our Jordans with our suits and I'd say she's about she went from a 99% to no sorry that's far too high mm. I'd say she's about 15% there so I still have to work on it um, another 85% and we get it over the line yeah, there's time to chisel away at her, don't worry I'll, I'll let you know when she's in a good mood and then <laughs> yeah. just send me the text Oksana's in a good mood and then yeah. I always say hey Oksana Graham again just wondering, have you given any consideration <laughs> to the Air Jordans for the for the wedding day? Amazing. Oh, away! With yeah. our mad, culty Russian accent. Um, and in, anyways, to listen to any of our previous podcasts, you can search WTS Pod on all podcast providers. I use Podcast Republic, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can also go to WTSPod.com. He's at Banjo Murray on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Merrigan Mania on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, that's it. And until next week, that's it. We friend. have a returning guest who we get every year. Say, so say no more. Say, say no, no more. more. Uh, until then, my friend, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Who sweat? Who sweat?